Welcome to The Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Liz Kelly. Fresh off of Talk the Thrones, The Ringer is introducing a new live Twitter after show covering season two of HBO's Big Little Lies. Immediately after each episode, The Ringer's Amanda Dobbins and ESPN's Mina Kimes will be going live to give their initial reactions and break down everything we saw in the episode. And to kick us off, there will be a special season two preview airing on Friday, June 7th at 12 p.m. Pacific. So join Amanda and Mina for Big Little Live every Sunday on Twitter. Welcome to the Ringer NBA show. This is the Corner 3. My name is Kevin O'Connor and I am stoked to be joined live in person here in beautiful Los Angeles with Ringer Associate Editor Danny Chow and Ringer Staff Writer Jonathan Charks. I'm here. I'm getting goosebumps hearing us in person. I always get over the microphones. I know. It it feels so good to be here together in person. This is our first one in person during the entire season, right? Yeah, since the draft, I think, last year. Since last year, I believe. Uh, There's a post draft pod that we did last year. And today. uh, So you look great, by the way. Taking care of yourself. I can uh, tell, man. You're looking good. It's great to see you. LA is treating him very well. (laughs) (laughs) I I need to cut a couple of pounds, but I do love my ringer shirt that I'm wearing. Um, Today, you guys submitted your questions through Twitter. Um, for a special NBA draft exclusive mailbag edition of the Corner Three, so we're going to start off with a question from Valmitten Fung. What a name! Where does the consensus top three in this draft, Zion Williamson, John Morant, and RJ Barrett, compare to the past two draft classes? So that's 2018 Aiton, Bagley, Doncic, and then 2017 Fultz, Ball, Tatum. And then he also followed up. If you could construct a three-year big board, where would they start stack up? So I guess starting generally, Danny, how does this top three compare to the, those these past two drafts? I mean, 2018 is clearly a number one for me, but what do you do with Zion, who is probably the best freshman we've ever seen? I like, think how that, does that wait? That to me is like the first question. Like really, it's Luca versus Zion, right? That's the first As question. As the best prospect of the past three years. Yeah. I think for me, you know, if you're going by your evaluations heading into the draft, um, I would rank them like this. And this is, again, heading into the draft. So I would have Doncic 1, Zion 2, Fultz 3, Tatum 4, and 5, Barrett 6, Morant 7, Ball 8, Bagley 9. That's the way I would have ranked these guys based on evaluations heading into the draft. And obviously now, Fultz would be ninth if you're taking these guys from where they're at now in their careers. But I, I, I don't love Barrett. Or Morant, I think they're good prospects, um, but I don't I don't value them nearly as much as I did Fultz, who looked the part as a two way long big guard who could create off the dribble for you and play make and defend multiple positions. I don't value either of them as much as Tatum, who looked like a go to scorer potential. Granted, that year we had different opinions on him, but even at this point, it's undecided with him. But I think the go to scoring potential was higher than with Aiton. Again, a guy super efficient near the rim who projected potentially as a good defender, and he made great progress as a rookie, as we saw. Uh, Barrett with his inefficiencies as a scorer and his poor decision-making, and Morant with his really frail, thin frame, uh, an iffy jumper. I would just slot those two guys behind Fultz, Tatum, eight, and it doesn't mean they're not poor right. prospects. They just have some some flaws that do stick out, Danny. Yeah, but I mean, really, like, I think I think we're kind of burying the lead here. Like, where do you stand on the Doncic-Zion debate? How close is it for you? I think when you consider the importance of the three-point shot in today's league and shot creation from the perimeter, I think that's where I give Doncic not a, a big lead, but a a noticeable difference. Mm-hmm. Um, like, if this is a Kentucky Derby, like, what is, like, a two... Two, oh, I two like length, it. Two length like lead, it. you know. It's, 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 not, it's not like a photo finish, but you know, it's close. <laughs> and 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 I, I that's where I'm at with Doncic, where just his playmaking ability and his shooting ability, as you've seen all season, Charks, um, that gives me an edge over Zion, who is more just like the freakish athlete who's going to be a great defender, uh, rim runner, and he can handle the ball too. But I just think Doncic for today's league with his perimeter skills is a little bit more important. Yeah, I mean, I feel like if you look at the floor, like Luca's floor is like that shot creator. Like, he's basically that hard and Steph kind of player where he creates a bunch of threes for himself, a bunch of threes for his teammates. That kind of player supercharges an offense. Zion, I wonder, like, do you think the LeBron thing is crazy? Like Just a LeBron the comparison. Yeah. comparison? So, I do, sort of. I think even LeBron in high school, remember, remember watching him playing on ESPN in like his junior and senior year of high school? Like, he, he didn't have a great jumper, but he could create off the dribble from the perimeter. And with Zion, I... 
look, Zion's a tremendous prospect, one of the best prospects that we've seen in our lifetime. Um, but there's still the concern with his shot creation ability. He's very left-hand dominant. He doesn't have a jumper off the dribble. And those are skills that, to to reach that LeBron level, you have right. to have that. But I think that given the way that we see the league now and given the way that like positionless basketball has kind of taken over in, in kind of mainstream consciousness and, and the way that most people conceive of the league, uh, the idea of, of Zion playing center sooner than later kind of intrigues me in terms of those kind of deficiencies in his game not necessarily meaning as much as they might have when LeBron started out. You know, like, I think Zion might have enough skills to kind of offset that. So I go back, do you remember this game, the Pittsburgh game, when Trey Jones got hurt and Zion ran point? Mm -hmm. I remember watching that game. He had seven assists. And I was like, oh my God, like, this is <laughs> happening. Like, and then after that, he goes back to power forward. He's playing off the ball. I looked at his numbers. So this is a very small sample size. Okay. But who cares? Zion, who the pick cares and roll. About, about pick and roll, ball handling. You know what his percentile was in the pick and roll as a ball handler? In the college I mean, 90 basketball? 90 plus, right? 99%. percent Oh, interesting. Uh, I mean, so I, I mean, mean, him as a role man, you know, often he rolled in college. He never not rolled. Often at all. That, he, he wasn't even on the leaderboards. And I think that's like, there's always going to be the Zion LeBron comparison because just their freakish athleticism and just their body size and everything else. Um, and also their games though. That's the thing. It's like, he's not a playmaker like LeBron's level, but he's still for his size and for his position. Somebody who like, we talk about this all the time, whether he's the guy handling the ball in the pick and roll or the guy who's on the short roll, he can do the Draymond green thing where he can put the ball in his hands or have him screening and rolling and then just creating against the defense and devastating them with his either lob, lob dunk ability, his ability to finish with finesse or his ability just to find and locate an open shooter. Like he didn't have great spacing at Duke. And like you said, he didn't have the opportunity to always do that, but in the NBA, he's going to have chances to do that. And that's like the difference between him and Luka Doncic where Luka is going to be that ball-dominant force. Right. Zion has a little bit more offensive versatility, I think, besides the fact his shot off the catch still is, we'll see what level he reaches. So, so then my question is, if Zion can become a Draymond Green-like player and possibly even like do that better given his physical like superiority, mm-hmm. is that, let's say Zion gets paired with a Steph Light, who can do approximately what Steph See, can. that's why not as, the Atlanta thing, yeah. I was so upset. Right. Oh my, can you imagine? That would have been oh. a tremendous fit Now, would, would, what, who would be more valuable in that situation? Like, Zion with that or Luka without a Draymond? Well, the idea is Luka is that Steph-like guy, but he's 6'7". Yeah, right, exactly. Just a big one. See, to me, like, I guess, big picture to me, I think Luka and Zion, I put as their own tier. Of what oh, else, yeah. I think absolutely behind them, and I think at th- once you get three, four, five, I could see you could throw Trey Young in there. Not 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 pre-draft. Looking at him now, yeah. I think you throw Jaron Jackson in there. I think it's really about SGA after that. Mitchell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a handful of guys that like if you're if you're evaluating based off today, like from yeah. you're ranking people from today forward. Um, obviously, Fultz isn't even in the conversation. Right. Sadly, very sad story. Alonzo uh, Ball's probably been knocked down a bit too. Um, I still believe in Lonzo. I think he's got. I do too. I, I really like Lonzo, and and, and I with these rankings, I had a hard time between Morant and Ball. I gave mm-hmm. Morant an edge over him because of the sheer athleticism. Uh, I think Ball's a bit better as a playmaker. Granted, he's so Morant, much bigger. He's bigger, and, and that that's and one defensively. Of the, that's one of the concerns for me with Morant in this draft where he's going to be a good player. Anytime you play make at his level, like you're not going to fail. You're just not going to fail. Basketball IQ. Exactly. Yeah. It's, he's he's going to be an NBA player for 10 plus years, assuming good health. The question will be is like, what happens with his jump shot? How much does he improve defensively? Um, because like the effort was not there at Murray State. Uh, the, the body's not there for the NBA level, but it, when he tried, he was solid enough. Like, like any, right. any I, I mean, if, if we're talking about like him and Lonzo Ball, Lonzo Ball's defense was never really brought up yeah, in his college. He, he was days. like active, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and but um, like on the ball, there was they're very questions. different players, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. total to opposite ends of the Okay, spectrum. so like, how about this? I wonder with me, like to me, I look at RJ. I see a guy to me is number nine on this list. Like I'm really low on RJ. Am I too low on him? Yeah, um, I, I believe so, okay. and like, that'll bring us into our next question. Um, because this is, relates directly to RJ, uh, because not all of us have Zion, Ja, and RJ Barrett in our top three. And, and Daniel Tapp asks, how much stock do you put in Brandon Clark having the second best box plus minus since 2010 behind Zion Williamson? Um, 
And I have RJ ranked second on my board. You guys have Zion one, both of you. And Danny, you have Jarrett Culver two, and then John Morant three. RJ, you have fifth behind Brandon Clark, who's fourth. And then Charks, you have Zion first, Brandon Clark second. I went full hipster at that uh, one. You did, you did. And, and then Ja third, and well, then you have RJ all the way back second. I was throwing darts. Our, so. our, our big boards are going to continue changing over, yeah, over it, the weeks. Right, but, we're recording yeah. this on May 22nd, and it's going to air sometime right. whenever you're hearing it next week um, from the time we're recording. But like from where we're at now, based on our evaluations, the question was about Brandon Clark, and we'll touch on the analytics in a second with BPM. Um, but I, I guess regarding RJ, I have him second. Fifth, seventh for you, Danny. Seventh for you, Charks. I, I, where are you guys at with him to have them at that point in the drafts? I, I just don't really believe in him as a primary kind of ball handling big wing. I, I don't believe in his finishing ability. Like everything that you see his game kind of pointing towards, I don't really see him having the ability to do it very well at the NBA level. Like I think he'll be a solid player. He just has the build. Yeah. He has he has the body for it. He has the with the requisite athleticism. But I don't see him having the kind of special touch that's required for him to be the kind of bully ball wing that he, he purports to be. Yeah, I feel like he's not that athletic either. Like he's a good athlete, but in terms he's of you were saying, space. yeah, in space, in terms of like the way he plays, he kind of relies on being the best athlete on the floor all the time. And I feel like RJ is good, but like he can be good somewhere else on someone else's team. I wouldn't want to deal with it, honestly. So in other words, what happens in the NFL draft and the NBA draft is a, a lot of teams will just have rankings of guys that they'll take. Like they might some there might be a team that does not even have RJ on their board because they're just like we're not going to take him. We're just not going to bother investing in him. He can be somebody else's problem to, to deal with. Um, that obviously that happens really in the NFL draft fourth, fifth, sixth round where you just have maybe. 150 guys on your board. Um, in the NBA draft, maybe you only have 40 on your board. But like regarding like lottery picks, for you having him at that point, he's just not a guy you would want to invest in then because of those flaws. I just feel like RJ needs the ball in his hands. And I'm not sure he's worth the investment of having the ball in his hands. I just I don't really believe in his jumper, really. And I just to me See for me, like I think with him, 18 years old. Six seven, strong body, and he has been great at every level. Like he had a really good year at Duke. He did not meet expectations, and he had some really like annoyingly frustrating turnovers and decisions that he made on the floor. And like I think a lot of the focus with RJ was on those. Um, it's just annoying mistakes. Like it's a it's a pain in the ass to watch him sometimes. But he also had moments where like this dude at six seven was just whipping the ball around the floor. He, I mean, he can kick out threes after driving with a clogged lane and projecting him forward. I sort of look at him as like a big guard, like a big point guard more than a, a wing. I think if you're if RJ with his ball handling ability as a passer, I, I think that's going to develop for him over time with more spacing. I think his at room finishing should improve. I think also when it comes to his shooting. I have concerns about his jumper as well, as anybody will. He shot only 66% from the free throw line, 31% from three. He wasn't shy about it, though. He was not, no. And the thing is with him, though, is like he is at least a shot creator. He is somebody who can create shots for you. And look, I think compared to Brandon Clark, who I have ranked 10th, I love Brandon Clark. I, I thought 10 was high for him, but apparently not compared to you guys. I just think with Brandon Clark. No so sky's like, the limit. Clark, Clark, Clark to me is more like a super role player where, and like this is where I touch on draft philosophy here, yeah. where Brandon Clark to me is the guy who, he is somebody that you can plug and play into any type of situation. And he's somebody who can use as a role man, somebody who's supremely athletic, who's like a good passer for his position. But he's also like, 23 years old, and I think there's upside for him to be better than he was in college at Gonzaga. However, I just would have a hard time ranking ahead of ranking him ahead of RJ Barrett, who's five years younger, a far better shot creator, a far better playmaker with these like supreme potential star skills. Like there's a there's a superstar path for RJ Barrett. There's not for me with Brandon Clark. Okay, more so, a super role player. See, for me, I guess like when I look at Brandon Clark, obviously two is high. This is me throwing darts. I look at two things. To me, like he reminds me of Sean Marion. That's the kind of guy I'm seeing him as. And here's where like it's so totally a gamble. I look at his shot at San Jose State. Like if you go and look at his shot at San Jose State, he is literally like the worst shooter of all time. One of the worst looking strokes I've ever seen. It's like, he, it was all yeah. over his head. I don't even know what's it happening. It was gross. It's like a rocket launcher. Gross. And so like, he Looks like my jump shot. Yeah. He, <laughs> 
Unless you were a shooting specialist. I mean, well, that's why I'm good at analyzing jump shots. Unless you're a quarter, quarter three guy. I know a bad jumper when I see it. Trust me. <laughs> I do. Trust me. So he went from that. Then he goes to Gonzaga. He rebuilds his shot. He's pretty much money from 15 feet now. So I'm looking at that trajectory. I look at his touch around the rim. And I'm gambling that he's going to become a good shooter. Which is, I admit, I will recognize as a complete gamble. It might not happen. But see, I look at it like RJ is a path of superstardom. I feel like he has a path to be DeMar DeRozan. That to me is like, okay, that could, that's who he could be. And I'd rather have a super role player like a Sean Marion kind of guy. To me, that's more valuable than DeMar DeRozan, honestly. I think it's fair. Yeah, yeah I mean, the I feel like the, the points of comparison for Brandon Clark are Sean Marion, Pascal Siakam. Like, you can see a little bit of, like, Andre Kirilenko, even. Uh, he's just a, a beautiful, like, stunning athlete to watch. <laughs> uh, his defensive instincts are... are top tier and as you were saying like he has playmaking chops um off the dribble like if yeah. if he can take the ball down the floor and he can you know find the open man um and i just think with all of that with you know what we've been talking about with guys who can create like draymond in the short role and everything there's a lot of value to be had in you know, a defensive star. I will admit Clark. the wingspan thing really hurt my heart. Sure. When well, he came in at six foot eight, that was really disappointing. Let's give a little background on Brandon Clark there. So Brandon Clark, he's six foot eight and his wingspan is identical six yeah, foot eight. Yeah, it's very sad. Um, very sad. And for him, he he was a junior at Gonzaga. So he's going to be 23 years old as a rookie. Um, averaged 17 points, nine rebounds, two assists, 27% from three, 70% from the free throw line, three blocks per game. And I think with the wingspan thing, it's interesting because... It's like, obviously, that's not ideal for a guy who's 6'8 to have a 6'8 wingspan when he's somebody you would project as like a small ball 5 type, as Absolutely. a 4 type. Yeah. You want him you want him playing in the front court. Um, but he's lean. He's not exactly, he's not long, obviously. But what he is, is as you said, Danny, just a bouncy athlete. Like, and he plays his ass off. Like that dude plays and he's constantly a pretty, hard. He's a pretty smart he's player. Smart I too. like that combination of athletic ability and... Yeah. Um, Basketball IQ. To me, he's like a 6'8 Zaire Smith. It's the same kind of type-ish. And Zaire Smith was 6'4 and he got drafted in the lottery. Yeah. And, and that's where with Brandon Clark, like to me, he's like a no-doubt lottery pick. Just no doubt about it in this year's class. And no doubt top 10 pick. And part of me feels 10's a little bit low. But I, I just... I, I mean, it's more reasonable. Still, no, it's still, definitely reasonable. My just, ranking is very unreasonable. I know. I, 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 I just have a hard time. Like I'm, I'm like... I'm trying to understand like why over RJ. Like I understand the like the philosophy philosophy behind drafting a super role player, but I, I think with RJ, he's somebody where so many of those flaws were just put under a microscope this year at Duke. But I, I guess dude, this guy has succeeded at every level for Team Canada beating Team USA before college. Like he has had a lot of success throughout his basketball life, playing with more spacing in the NBA. I think with RJ, when he's putting an effort on defense with his playmaking with space and just developing over time as someone, again, who's only 18 years old. Like, Brandon Clark at 18 would not be the number two pick. For like sure. Number two, like, R.J. Barrett at 22, 23 projecting ahead. He just, that, like, we're talking about co competing with, with Brandon Clark and how hard he plays. R.J. plays his ass off, too. Like, he plays really hard. Okay, so here's what I'm looking at with, with R.J. So I'm looking at, like, these teams in the lottery, right? I feel like you put R.J. in a team, He's not going to play in New York, right? New York, well, there's no time for that. They have Kyrie and KD. That's not going to happen. He won't. I mean, can you imagine Kyrie and RJ? Like, that's like Tatum yeah. times 20. Imagine if Tatum couldn't shoot, right? And Kyrie was like, hey, bro, like, you move the ball. So LA, that's not going to happen, right? LeBron. And you look at it like, if he goes to Cleveland, I guarantee you him and Colin Sexton have issues. If he goes to Phoenix, will he play out Devin Booker? I don't think so. If he goes to Chicago, Markinen, Porter, Levine, Levine they don't yeah. want to play with I him. I think it will work with Devin Booker. I feel I like do. Booker's like, give me the ball. And Arjay, I, 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 want the ball. I, I think Booker, I think with Booker, like he's became that, but still like at his core, he's still a guy who can run off screens, spot up. Is, is that like, real? That feels like a demotion though. Yeah. I mean, for Booker, he's like, I'm the guy. What, like, what if it's I'm an upgrade? There. And I mean, well, that, like, to, I mean have of more, to have more on his plate, more, more offensive responsibility off the ball, not less demand on the ball. I think RJ is somebody who can alleviate some of that pressure on him. I mean, look, Booker create. is a dude who comes from a very specific school of thought. 
the Kobe school of thought. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't really don't. Devin Booker is not st- playing a solo RJ yeah. Barrett. That's just not going to happen. Our, Devin Booker was not this guy in college, But though. he's this guy no, but he I is know, this guy I now. Know, I know, I know. How much money does he make? But, oh, but Max Devin, contract? Devin no. Booker said before, after last season, not this season, after last season, he was like, I don't ever want to miss the playoffs again. And, and letting got, RJ run play and, will get him to the playoffs? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> that means a five-year rebuild. I mean, this is also theoretical because the odds are RJ won't even fall to the next I think what will happen is he'll get picked at three and he'll be traded somewhere else. I just worry with RJ, I worry he has to be the man. I feel like wherever he goes, whatever team he's on, the players that are on this team now will be better than him. They won't want to deal with it. And he can't be awful because he can't shoot. So I feel like he's just going to be a chemistry problem wherever he goes. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. I, I think RJ's won at every okay, level. Okay, so like, um, but, let's say yeah. the Knicks, where would you want him to go? If like the Knicks trade this pick, right? Who, who makes the most sense for RJ? What's the best fit for him in the NBA? You can take a second. I mean, I, 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 mean, I like him. I'm I saying like pick the, I, I like him for the Knicks. With KD and Kyrie, yeah. you think that would work? Yeah, I, th- I, th- I don't even know if they're going to keep him. They might flip him, but 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 like I don't mind him with KD. With Kyrie, no, after what happened in Boston this year. Didn't we no. just watch this whole show? I don't, like, I, I don't mind like a high upside player growing with KD. You think he's going to grow with Kyrie? Like that's not going to yeah. happen. Oh, so, but you're, you're assuming like he's just not going to have a very like, he's not going to have a starring role. So he's just going to no. be like another guy. No, like a guy that. you bring him off the bench. Or you yeah, know. he's gonna get his shots if he comes off the bench or not. Like he's gonna get his shots. <laughs> I'll mean, tell you that. And that's the one thing with RJ is sometimes I question um, how much of it is basketball IQ and some of those poor decisions that he makes, and how much of it is just like I gotta get mine. Okay, uh, I'm gonna tell I, you. I, I, gotta get mine I, I, got I got a good his. RJ story. Okay. I was just telling him about this. So what's your RJ? Team story? Canada. It was always RJ and this guy Simi Shitu, Vanderbilt uh, freshman. He'll be in this draft, probably a late second round pick. And they were always kind of arguing, like, whose team is this? Like, is it my team? Is it your team? And it was like this constant back and forth. And what turned out, so right before they won the uh, gold medal in Canada, Shitu quit the team. He's like, RJ, you suck. I can't deal with this anymore. You're not that good. I should be the man. And now he's gotten like this rep in the NBA, like, oh, Simi Shitu's an idiot. He's like an egomaniac. He can't handle a role on his team. Maybe Shitu is like three steps ahead. He's like, I know this guy isn't very good. He's going to kill the team. I, I feel like if Zion told RJ— But he did Duke, it. That's true. He, <laughs> he, won, he won the gold medal. Yeah, they won the gold medal. But I'm saying, like, imagine a Duke if Zion told RJ that. Say, RJ, you're not that good. Take a back seat. They would have been a better team. RJ is good, though. He's been good at, he's been good at every level. He was good at Duke. He, also, he, he, but he also, also 20 you, you, know, you know what's fun, you know what's fun about that, though? We could say the exact same thing he won at every single level with Julie Lokafor. <laughs> every single level. He was a champion at every single level mm. of basketball. And he looked the part of an NBA player. You know, he had all the sort requisite of. skills. Wing Julie Lokafor is what I'm saying, I guess. Mm. I'm just saying, I don't Go see Devils. him in New York. Like, I'm trying to find a team that makes sense for RJ. Even like Cleveland. Here, here he goes here, to Colin Sexton. I think with like the Okafor winning in every level. Winning in level is... Sort of a fallacy, like to, to say sure. that you know it's yeah. true. Like, it is. Um, you I, were just I saying that. that. I, I know. I know. I admit that. I admit. I, I'm using, pulling these cards out for my support of RJ. But again, like I think the real argument again is like with the skills, the shot creation ability, the effort. I know it didn't happen on defense for him this year because of the offensive load, but like the effort level, the intensity, the work ethic off the court, everything you hear about how hard he works, yeah, on he his does skills, work the hard. amount of resources Team Canada has put into him medically. Skill wise, everything, health, I, nutrition, like he has a lot behind it, him. It's less to succeed. Th- it's less that for me. It's more just the natural like level of of touch and just his spatial kind yeah, of awareness he for me. Great touch at all. He doesn't have great touch, and that's kind of really important for me, especially when he's not as good of an athlete as he was at the college level. And so when he's trying to finish over guys, he's not going to be able to with as much regularity as he did in college. And he didn't really finish with too much regularity given his, you know, physical attributes in college anyway. So I think that's kind of more where I'm leaning with. Well, with you, you guys are with uh, Simi Shoot 2 on RJ Barrett and I am with... Uh, Actually, I'll say one more thing. One thing uh, I've heard, I've heard like RJ wants to be the best player of all time, which is like such a scary thing to hear about a guy mm. who isn't that good. It's like... <laughs> Well, and John Morant called himself a point god. I don't, I, confidence can be a good or a bad thing. Hey, I mean, I don't mind uh, yeah. Ja talking like that. I, I mean, um, look, we... Ja's great. Charks, we've been wrong on this. Uh, we've been on the wrong side of history uh, with Jason Tatum. So, Have you we, know. though? Is they changing? <laughs> <laughs> We're relitigating. We should probably go uh, on before we talk about Tatum yeah, yeah, for an hour. Yeah, yeah. You, you guys are with Simi Shitu, and I am not. Um, speaking about late-round gems, um, we were asked by many, many people about... Who are some potential steals in this year's draft? Charks, Simi is one of the guys that you have highlighted as a potential steal. 
in this draft. Who is he and what is it about his game that makes him a potential star? Okay, so he was a five-star freshman forward at Vanderbilt. Basically, his season got sunk. He's playing with Darius Garland. Garland tears his knees out for the year. Five games in. Yeah, and then Vanderbilt didn't have enough talent. Their coach got fired. I look at I look at like a five-star guy like that. Shit too is very athletic. He's very raw. But to me, he's a guy like, if he goes to G League for two years, works on his jumper, works on his feel for the game, his athletic ability and his skill set to me is very interesting. He's, he's a 6'10 dude who can bring the ball down the floor. That's... Yeah. Automatically, very, very, you know, attractive. And he was playing on a torn ACL right after torn ACL. Like, so I mean, I don't know. He's pretty raw. He probably busted out of the league, but he's a guy I think worth a shot in the second round. How about you, Danny? I'm going with a guy who probably most people haven't heard of. Uh, a guy named Alan Smilajik. Alan Smilajik. I'll let you take that name. <laughs> yeah. So he <laughs> was drafted fourth overall in the G League draft last year. Uh, 19 years old. Uh, plays for the Santa Cruz Warriors in the G League. And there's been a lot of talk uh, over the past couple months about how the Warriors are basically trying to hide him from the rest of the league by putting him in this G League. Oh, yeah. they, didn't, they didn't send him to the showcase, uh, to the G League showcase. So none of the other teams really got to see what he did. Mm. He's this 6'10", really skilled guy. He can bring the ball up the floor. He has a lot of like <laughs> DeMarcus cousins like, oh, I'm going to bring the ball up the floor and I'm going to like hoist the three type of thing. Uh, he played third division Serbian ball before playing in the G League. So this dude's basically an unknown player. He mm. hadn't played in any like high level competition before that, but he's been killing it in the G League. He's a cool story at the very least in terms of the way the Warriors are using the G League to hide a guy. Yeah. It's, it's a pretty interesting story no matter what happens with him, just the way like the league could move forward as a developmental tool, I think. The guy who stands out to me is Daquan Jeffries. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, yeah, he's the guy everyone's talking about. He's got a lot of buzz. From Tulsa. Um, he's a six foot five, seven, near seven foot wingspan, wing forward type. I think when you're looking, uh, you and I talked about this in our NBA Slack recently, Charks, like finding like other PJ Tuckers. Like, I, yeah. think, I think it's easier said than done to find guys who can do that because of the mentality. Um, but from the body and from the game, Jeffries is the type of strong-bodied wing who can play big. And he's an intense defender. He's someone who plays hard, somebody who's a smart player and makes good decisions on the floor. And he hit spot-up threes at an above-average to good rate. He shot 37% from three this year, 76 from the line. And those aren't great numbers necessarily, but it's solid enough. And I think his shot is projectable enough um, where he can be a good shooter and a versatile defender. And what more could you want in today's league? Were you at the Combine, KOC? I was not. I've no. heard he was one of the big risers at the Combine. Yeah, yeah he, he, had, he had a good Combine. Um, yeah, I like Jeffries a lot. I, I think he's somebody, to me, I have him ranked 29th. I, I Ooh, think I he, like that. I think nice. He, I think he should be a first-round pick. Then, like, mm-hmm. this is the type of thing with the draft that's like, everything we're talking about, like I just said with Jeffries, it's like, doesn't that, that sounds like a guy who should be a lottery pick, especially this year, with like a weaker class and a lot of guys with questions. And one of the guys who has a lot of questions is Bull Bull. And we were asked by a couple different people about him, Nickety Nick and Slow Bamba, who said... <laughs> Which is actually a great nickname for yeah, Bull Bull. That's sounds, fantastic. Yeah, that sounds like the name of my band that I'm going to start. <laughs> um, how how high could Bull Bull go, Charks? I mean, first off, are we doctors? Like, I don't know. Right? Like, <laughs> what's up with his foot? You mean, like, he has serious yeah. health issues, serious medical red flags, and that's, like, the number one thing boring this game is, like, well, how healthy is he? I don't know. Right. I'm not a doctor. Yeah, I think with Bull Bull, like, that's... The only question, really, really, is with the health. I think with his game, there's every player has holes. Every player has questions with him, like his frail frame. Like, how much can he actually defend stronger bodied centers? Like, how his, his yeah. center of gravity is so high. He has such long, He's like a seesaw. long legs. Yeah, it's it's all legs, all arms. I mean, his his wingspan's tremendous. It's seven foot seven. Seven foot, and he can stroke threes. Yeah, fifty yeah. percent from three in the what? small sample size mm. at Oregon. How many it's shots, Danny? I, I don't like know. Like 10? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, look, he played... It was, 20, he, it was 25 shots. Yeah, he played like 10 games. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, like... He can shoot though. Like, like it's like, he's not going to shoot 50%. 50% right. He can really stroke it. Yeah, sure. He That's has not even a touch on floaters Incredible on layups. Touch. He can shoot. Like, there's no doubt about that. He's going to at least be an above average good shooter. It's really yeah. funny. Like, if you watch some of his high school, uh, like, highlight mixes, he does a lot of bringing the ball up the floor and he has like, little tricky, like, ball handling maneuvers. They're, they don't won't amount to anything in the NBA, but it's just like, he has confidence. I mean, it's very thought maker-ish, right? Like yeah. the high school video thing. Right. Yeah. But he's just, he's really slow. Uh, there's not a lot of like 
lateral or he's, even like he's up not and down mobile. quickness. And yeah. I, I worry about him defending a lot of space. Yeah. As you mentioned, the high center of gravity is just like really skinny legs. Like, right. I, I just don't see him defending effectively on the post against bigger guys or even against like big wings for that matter. But, um, yeah, but you look at a guy who's 7'4", seven, 7'4", four, seven, four, right? Uh, yeah, I think he's listed seven, seven two and a half. I feel like he's taller seven, than that. Seven, yeah. um, with a nine eight standing reach, um, and I mean, I mean, who like, shoots no threes at fifty percent? Some team will probably look at that and be like, "Hey, if we're going to swing for the fences, let's swing for the fences." Yeah, I mean the role is there no matter what bench yeah. shooter if he can stay healthy, which is the thing. Like, I mean, I, seven two guys don't stay healthy to begin with. You I mean, don't have a broken foot. I mean, I think the difference between him and Michael Porter last year is I remember when I interviewed Tim Conley for the Nuggets article I wrote this year. He said. With Porter, the only question was health. Like, you, like that's it. The, the the game was there, but with Bull Bull, it's it's not just health. It's question about work ethic. As yeah, well. I mean the difference is Porter's incredible athlete. Well, yeah, I know right? that of course. But like with Bull Bull, it's also work ethic. And scouts have long questioned how hard he actually works, how right. much he actually loves the game. So it's like you have durability concerns and work ethic concerns. I would be not surprised if he went top 10 um, because of the sheer talent level. Somebody maybe falls in love with him, um, but I wouldn't take him top 10. Uh, I have him ranked 20th on my board. Charks, you have him 21st, and Danny, you have him 14th. I think I think 14th, yeah. 15th is fair. Late yeah. lotto, mid-first um, for someone just to take a swing on him. Um, but you know it's kind of funny? I feel like if, if Orlando had already taken Mo Bamba, he's a perfect Orlando pick, isn't he? Like, yeah, right. Super tall, long guy, shooting. Let's all go back to the combine real quick. We have a question from Hunter. Who is the biggest stock riser from the NBA combine? Well, let's go, I'll give a shout out to Nick Claxton, the Georgia big man. He was kind of off the radar all season. I know nothing about him, honestly. And then as his name come up there, I went back. I was like, oh, they played Texas. They played Jackson Hayes. So I watched that game like, Claxton just more skilled than Jackson Hayes, in my opinion. He played point guard. I feel like it's not even really arguable, right? Like yeah. In terms of like his basketball skill level is just higher right now. He's a good athlete. He's got size. Like, this guy, I think, will stick in this draft because his his theoretical skill set is pretty intriguing. Yeah. Claxton, seven feet, seven foot tall, seven foot three wingspan, averaged thirteen points last season, eight nine rebounds, two assists, um, only twenty eight percent from three, only sixty four percent from the line. Uh, with him, it's like. Like you said, Charks, he, he he's skilled. Like if he, Capel he, had he, handles. He ran, what if Clint Capel yeah. had handles? He ran point for Georgia's offense a lot of the time. Like he ran pick and roll as a as a near seven foot player. And I think with that skill set, again, like to me, he's a first round talent. It's still decided if he'll actually stay in the draft or not. But I think with the combine he had where he showed off his versatility, switching screens, defending guards and wings. And that was like the cool thing about the combine is you were required to switch all screens on the ball. Oh, that's so, cool. I didn't so, know. That's yeah, awesome. So, so, so it's like with Claxton, he, you know, he looked great. He looked good defensively. And and if you're looking for a guy in today's league, that's what you want a big to do is to be comfortable defending on the perimeter. And Claxton, the question will be with him is like, what level of his shot really reach? How how reliable will he be defending? on, on uh, How reliable will he be shooting from the perimeter when he's off the ball? And also like, He's still pretty thin, uh, so like how how will he handle the Embiid's, the Jokic types of bigs of the world? But like to me, he's a no brainer first rounder. In terms of like the combine measurement numbers, though, like I I understand all of the the kind of sadness that Brandon Clark didn't really have too great of a, a measurement in terms of like his anthropomorphic uh, numbers. But man, his lane agility. It's faster than <laughs> Drew Holiday's. It's Ooh. faster than John Wall's. And this dude's going to be playing small ball five. Clark? Yeah. yeah. Was, That's, it, was it faster than Taco Fall? <laughs> <laughs> it better be. It better be. Taco Fall, to me, is the number one prospect. <laughs> um, well, we had someone yeah. uh, on their staff who will not be named in our Slack was talking as a first-round pick, right? <laughs> we'll yes. say who it was. Someone who will not be named. <laughs> <laughs> also, before I forget, um, I went by look at it. I got to give a shout out to my guy, Ben Rumet the Stepian. He has like Nick Claxton like takes for days. They're really well written. One more Nick Claxton, check that out. He's a pretty interesting guy. Is Claxton like a lotto pick for him? Or? I think so. I think, but he was saying he might go back to school because he has Tom Crean at Georgia now and they have like a top two class coming Edwards in. Edwards is coming there. So like mm-hmm. he, if he comes back with a really stacked team, maybe he actually is a lottery pick because his team is really good next year. Because one of the things I guess is worth pointing out, like honestly, where there's what, 65 Power 5 conference teams if you're a guy who's on a big recruit and you're on a bad Power 5 team, no one's really watching you outside of like these NBA scouts. Like, guys like us, we don't have time to watch like Georgia and like 
Clemson. Like these teams aren't very good. It's hard to watch during the season. So a guy that can go under the radar the whole season, no one talk about him. I think Claxton brings us to a, a good question from Andrew Del Toro, who asked, which guys have a chance to someday guard Giannis, relatively speaking? Um, and relatively is the key like, word like there. We're yeah. recording yeah. this on Wednesday, the 22nd. Right now, the Raptors and Bucks are tied 2-2 two, two to, two, two to two in the series. And by the time you hear this, we'll know who is representing the Eastern Conference in the finals. Um, if it's the Bucks. Uh, I mean, I think the conversation is even more timely because in the draft, you need to think about who your opponents are going to be. Who are the teams that you have to beat in order to get to the NBA Finals? And for the foreseeable future, Giannis Antetokounmpo and the Bucks, whether or not they make it, are going to be one of those teams that you have to beat to get to where you want to get. So back to the question from Andrew, Danny, are there any prospects, whether it's lotto guys, late first guys, second round guys that stand out as players who are potential Giannis containers, not stoppers. You can't stop them, but guys who you can at least put on them and feel I mean, comfortable about. if you're thinking about it, Zion. I, right? right? It has yeah, to be. Because, Zion, look, yeah. you, you, you talk about the type of player you want guarding Zion. You, you want a wide body. You want a big body who can take up a lot of space that doesn't allow Giannis to kind of do that whole whoop-de-doo uh, Euro step. He can't get around <laughs> Zion. Zion's, he's a tank. Um, Zion also has the vertical ability to challenge him up top, he's not tall. He might not be tall enough to do it all the time, but he definitely has the strength to at least hold his own. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's as good as you can ask for, right? Yeah, I mean, you have to have a combination of strength and agility, um, and also like the mindset to, to lock in and defend him. Uh, Zion clearly projects as one of those guys. I think staying in the lottery, DeAndre Hunter is another one that maybe you could put him on Giannis. And I mean, Hunter, I have my concerns about him laterally. I'm not quite sure he's the defender that he's made out to be. Um, But I think, again, he has the combination of strength and at least mindset um, to to be a guy that you could put on Giannis long-term. I think worth pointing out was Zion. So one thing that's been out there lately, it's like, oh, if he goes from the world, he's just Julius Randle. Change between Zion and Julius Randle. What are the main differences? So in college, Randle average, I'm looking at the numbers, um, 0.5 0.5 steals a game, 0.8 blocks a, a game. He's a loser on defense in college. In college, Zion averaged 2.1 steals a game, 1.8 blocks. That's like triple Incredible. and quadruple the difference. Mm-hmm. Like Zion's defensive ability has been very underplayed because of his offense, but like this guy appears to be a very, very, very good defensive player. I remember that year you wrote an article on SB Nation uh, about Julius Randle, like the wingspan problem. Oh, yeah, I think, yeah. About Julius Randle in that year on Celtics blog. Um, I wrote an article about Randall's defense, like looking specifically at his defensive issues, like the focus problems, the just like his inability to read the floor as well as his short wingspan. Um, it's like I have Randall, like we have Randall as a comparison for Zion, for Zion, like shades of because of the offense. It's yeah. like left hand like size, the size. Yeah, the, yeah it's like it's, it's like not a knock. In fact, it's actually kind of a compliment because Randall's turned into a good player. But like as you said, Sharks, the defensive end of the floor is just on a it's a different end of the spectrum. Randall was an absolute loser on defense in college. Just I hated watching him. I couldn't stand watching him when he was in college. But Zion projects as somebody who has a chance to be a lane to be a Draymond esque versatile guy who can protect the rim for you, who can switch screens for you when he has the intensity, he has the tools for, for Zion. It's going to be about like, where does his mind go? Like how much does, because Draymond is a basketball genius. Yeah. And you also wish Zion had a longer wingspan, yeah. but he makes he up for it with, his, with yeah. his athleticism and, and his timing. So. Also, KOC, we're getting old, man. Talking about these guys from five, six years ago. You know, we wrote about them too, man. Yeah, we're, yeah, getting, we're getting yeah. up there. It's, uh, and I think, you know, there's a handful of other guys just like scrolling through the draft guide, just going through. I think Brennan Clark, even though he's a little lean, he's somebody that makes sense. PJ Washington, who we'll talk about in a minute, is somebody with his size and mobility makes a little bit sense. Nick Claxton, who we just talked about, somebody you can put on him for these like bigger guys. And in terms of wings, the guy we mentioned earlier, Daquan Jeffries makes sense. Nasir Little from North Carolina, who struggled. But okay. again, long-term, he has the strong body in the theoretical defense. You you look... We're talking about Giannis here. Let's... The next... Yeah. This is getting ridiculous. Well, I mean, there's <laughs> None just, of these guys... I mean, you need a big body sure. guy. I mean, not all these guys are going to pan out, um, but a handful of them could make... I mean, at that point, we're, let's talk about like Taylor Horton Tucker, who has a 7-1, seven, 7-2 seven, seven, yeah. wingspan yeah. at 6-2 or six, I mean, four. like, the number of guys in the guard, Giannis were like two guys can guard him, probably. There's not many. Yeah. I, mean, like, you, I mean, the <laughs> point is, is like guys you can at least, as Andrew Del Toro asked, guys who can guard... 
Giannis, relatively speaking. Like, you got to put a body on him. So, sure. like, okay. yeah, somebody sure. that you can at least put a body on. Let's move on to a question from Creepy Chris. <laughs> Hello. Um, which is, is this Chris Vernon, by the way? Are you sticking <laughs> some questions here, Vernon? <laughs> <laughs> Which of Kentucky's three projected first rounders do you see having the most impactful professional career? So let's go through the three of those guys, starting with uh, Keldon Johnson, who is probably the most hyped prospect heading into the season. Yeah, I guess he was. Yeah, yeah sure. W- w- Certainly the, w- the biggest freshman that they had. Yeah. yeah. They had a down here recruiting wise, though. So with yeah. Keldon Johnson, what do you like about his game? What okay, so like? Kellen Johnson's he's a generic three and D template, six six, reasonably athletic, decent jump shot, very competitive, very competitive. Yeah, he's uh, so hard. I remember he was the one guy in that Duke game when they, in the opening night when they got crushed, where he still was still playing. Everybody else line took their soul. It was, they were like, oh my god. But Johnson <laughs> was still playing. Like he's a very competitive kid. I, but I don't think I don't think he's very skilled. I don't think he's very big or that athletic. I yeah, mean, yeah. to me, just kind of a guy. It's he, like he tries hard, yeah. but his feet don't move that that fast. They don't move that fast. De- you definitely don't want him dribbling. Yeah, I, I'm not a I'm not a big. He's fan. a guy. I, you know? I, I'm ranked 32. Um, Tyler Hero, Danny, guy who you would hope to kind of become a guy who can create out of pick and rolls, can hit shots, hit difficult three point shots. Um, I'm not really sure where I am with him. Like, given all of my hype and love for Kevin Herter, <laughs> I'm like I'm He's, always looking Herter's for so another. Much bigger than yeah, Herter's Herter. huge compared yeah. to Hero. Hero's like. Six four, six five. And he has a negative wingspan. Yeah. Yep. So, I you you're always kind of looking for the next, but the I don't I don't know if I don't know if see I, I worry like this is probably very lazy, but like you know Luke Kennard, right? I just worry about him on the wrong team. Will he just be a bench guy because he doesn't play defense? Right. That's my concern. And the guy that we you know all mutually agree based off our rankings is the best of the three Kentucky prospects is PJ Washington. Um, that this past season he improved his three point shot after testing the waters last year. Shot forty two percent from three, still only sixty six percent of the line. But at six eight with a seven two wingspan, he projects as somebody who can be a versatile defender. He's super mobile, quick laterally. Uh, he's a good passer for his position. He improved his shot. He can. He's a good finisher out of the rim, even though he's not like a lob guy. He's a good finisher, and I think with him, he, there's like up and down effort. At Kentucky, and for me, that's like the one hesitation I have with him. Um, but we all view him as a mid-first-round pick. I think you have him highest of the three of us, Charks. I wonder if I'm too low. I have him, I think, at eight or something. Uh, Double-check that. Nine? Somewhere. Nine. You have him nine. I wonder if that's too low. I feel like I, I can just see like a Paul David West, Paul Millsap-ish kind of game. I mean, I like I think his basketball IQ is fairly high for a guy his, with his kind of skill set. shows in his passing. And I really wonder yeah. if he's going to be a top-five player in this draft when it's all said and done. Yeah, I mean, I think with PJ Washington, he's one of those guys where, like, years from now, we could look at him and be like, man, how do you, how do you fall so far? Like, he has obvious skills that make sense in today's league, especially with the spacing and the passing on offense, and then with the size and potential versatility on defense. He just, like, that's what you want. You can kind of get league. lost with him not necessarily having a standout skill, but he was just one of the most productive players in college basketball. I guess the concern would be if he goes somewhere where he has to play the four, they got a bunch of fives. Not a great shooter. He's not playing off the ball. Then what is his role? I think that'd be the concern. I think that brings us to a, a good question from Ghost Jacobs, who asked, do you have any tips on how to get a deeper knowledge of the game and how to apply it while watching a game? What do you pay attention to? Um, it, it reminded me of an article I wrote in 2016 where I talked to Mike Schmitz, my friend uh, from Draft Express, who now works Tennessee's for ESPN. Name dropping over and, here. And then this, Josh, this is the name drop yeah, part of the segment. And then Josh Riddell, uh, who... Works for DS uh, and then a couple of like anonymous NBA people for that as well. And so that, that article's titled How to Scout College Troops from Your Couch. So just like, <laughs> yeah, that, that, was into Google. that was a good article. Um, and you know, there's some good feedback from Schmitz, who I, I think is unbelievable. He's, he's been, by the way, just like as an aside, Mike Schmitz, a star on I mean, ESPN. Like, um, I'll tell he's you on what, TV now, man. Like, watching the combine is like there's prospects who impress you, like, click, Claxton looks good. Like, oh man, like, looks great on, on defending on the perimeter. But then you see Mike Schmitz. Okay. Dude, like he is a natural on TV. I'm I'm very impressed by Mike Schmitz going from the, the KOC shout out. Sorry. All right, we get it. I'm, He's I your friend. It's cool. Like the biggest riser of the NBA combine was Mike Schmitz. That's all I'm trying all right, to somebody say. Somebody tag him um, in so he can see KOC um, fighting <laughs> him like this. Anyway, so like I think really one of the main takeaways in that article, Schmitz said like he uses like this uh spotlighting. Where like you're like just focusing on one guy, and that's what I did a lot with Julius Randle that year. Where, like I'm just watching him the entire game, what he's looking at on the defensive end of the floor, how much he's ball watching, missing like backdoor cuts and things like that. But more than anything else, like the big takeaway from that article for me is, again with PJ Washington, 
like you you really have to understand the NBA. Like if you're scouting the draft, you can't just watch the draft. You have to really understand what is needed in the NBA, what is valued in the NBA. And the game I, changes fast these days. Quickly, faster like, than and you need to project before. ahead sometimes too. And with PJ Washington, he's somebody that has skills that are extremely valuable in today's league. I think actually, I really agree with you in terms of spotlighting. To me, what I like to do, like when I'm watching a guy, like I'm gonna spotlight watch him for like two or three games. But then you have to watch his team. You have to watch, okay, who are his four teammates on the floor? Mm. What are the lineups he's being used in? What's his role on the team? So once you know who he is, then you have to say, how is his coach using him? Because I think that's where scouting becomes very important, right? Because like these numbers are only reflecting their role on the team. And with so many of these guys, it's like, okay, what's his role on his college team? Now, what's his role in the NBA? And that's really where the scouting comes into play because the numbers only say what, how he's being used. And let's be honest, most college coaches aren't NBA-minded. They're trying to win games now. Yep. They're not trying to maximize these guys' skill sets. Sometimes these college coaches want to, want to slow a guy down, keep him in school an extra year. It happens all the time. And also, like the game, the game, the rules are different. Yeah. <laughs> like your like zone defense is prevalent in the in college basketball in ways that it's not in the NBA because of the lack of three second violation. And not to mention the three point shot, three point line is shorter as well, which makes a difference in spacing. Oh yeah, it's, and it's a, and like your teammates are so much less talented, so there's less space generally to move around. The court. It's a it's a uh, it, it's a different game, um, and I think that's one of the challenges as well with like even scouting internationally. Um, but your point about that is important because like e- even though you might be spotlighting, you know, and watching one guy specifically, it's about like little things that happen afterwards from his teammates, how he interacts with his role in the team. Is it a team that like values cutting? And like you don't have to understand the system too because it's like some teams may not want guys cutting. Some teams cut a lot. Yeah, uh, it's little things like that where every system is different, and that's where I have a. I have a bit of a hard time personally with like numbers for college because like it's such a small sample of only 30 games for a lot of these one and done guys. Uh, I just, I like, obviously it's important. Analytics are important. Um, but, but with college, like for me, it's like, it has to be context matters more than anything um, with the system, with the lineups, with everything else that directly affects said numbers. As you said, Charles. I would say with numbers for me, what I really looking back on it, like the number, I, like the free throw shooting. I look back at Fultz and Lonzo in that year, and I wish I had paid more attention to their free throw shooting numbers. Because those numbers said these guys are not elite shooters. They're shooting threes in college really well. Eye test looks great, but those numbers are saying, underlying numbers are saying, watch out. And even then, the eye test I guess for Lonzo, was not yeah. very like good Fultz, with Lonzo. But like Fultz <laughs> was like a 65% free throw yeah. shooter. Yeah, and, that, and that's one of the, the, the stats I do like a lot. It's just simple free throw percentage. I mean, it's it, very it is, right. It, it, it is has, what it is. It has been proven to be more accurate at projecting future three-point percentage than three-point percentage in college itself, um, probably because of the sample size. That's usually larger for free throw percentage. Um, that brings us a good question to, from Mandela. What is a better situation for a young prospect to go into? A contending team where he gets to learn from experienced vets or a rebuilding team with no pressure where he can play through his mistakes? I don't think there's a black and white answer. Yeah, mm-hmm. I I, it's, it's, it's just everything that you had mentioned in the previous question. Like, context, context matters. everything. Uh, fit matters. You know, the style of play matters. There, I mean, there are so many guys who have gotten lost on contending teams and to never be seen from again who probably could have been NBA players on, you know, bad teams. And, and then guys who are just waiting for that right situation mm-hmm. where they can be surrounded by proven players who can fit them into role. I think we're seeing this right now with Al McKinney with the Golden State Warriors, somebody who, if he's thrown into the fire in a different situation, he may be asked to do too much, maybe, maybe is not asked to do anything that works for his specific role with Golden State, spotting it from three, playing hard on defense, crashing the offensive boards. Simple game. Like, just do that, and you're going to succeed within your role. Uh, I think every prospect's different. Every prospect, like, there's different best fits for him in terms of situation. But ultimately, like, Charks, it's the type of thing where we've seen prospects fail just by falling in the wrong situation, and prospects look better because they fell into a good situation. You know what's funny? I was thinking of was Josh Jackson. Do you remember when he was like, I want to play in Boston. I want to go somewhere I can be the man, blah, blah, blah. And now it's like, this guy probably needed more discipline instruction than Phoenix could give him, right? It's so hard to know every... I think there's yeah, it's, there's no black and white answers. Yeah, play, playing time's on everything. I was thinking about this in regards to Matisse Thibel, uh, the prospect from Washington who had a tremendous college career defensively, who had, you know is a solid offensive player, can like a 3 and D type of guy. For Thibel, to me, it's like, <laughs> I'd love for him to land on a contending well, you see, team. He he is because he held out of that combine. He, he, he got did. a promise. He got a promise someone. somewhere. Like, so his agent's like, you know, I don't got time for this. I'm going where I want to put him. Because for Thibel, it's like if you go to a team where like it's bad structure, like there's 
There's no, there's no foundation, no system. There's no utility. You're, you're, there's nobody who can create shots for you. Like you're going to be a zero on offense, and then your defense is not going to lead to winning if the rest of the team is. Yeah, because who cares, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What does it matter? I, I envision him being a Danny Green esque player. Mm-hmm. And Danny Green was nobody on the Cavs and Bingo. became a huge somebody yep. on the Spurs. I would say for sure, if you're an older college player, it makes more sense to go somewhere you can fit into a small role. Because I feel like these younger guys a lot of times go to a team that's going to win. It's like, we don't have time to develop you. Unless the situation, which brings us to another good question from Redonchichlis. I prefer Redon- Redonchilis. Like Shout Redonchilis. out Dallas, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. He says, is there another Landry Shaman in this draft? I'm an older college guy who hits threes, good size. With Shaman, he's somebody who fell into a good situation with the Sixers, and then he fell into a good situation after being traded to the Clippers. <laughs> uh, just a, a great example of somebody who situation played a role into his success as a second team all NBA, uh, second team all rookie player. Um, but if he fought, went to a team that like sucked and had no structure and had no shot creator for him, the shots from three wouldn't be there. The his improved defense wouldn't would matter. Nobody would have recognized that, and it just wouldn't have led to winning. But Shamit was somebody who fell into a good situation. So, is there a guy that stands out to you, Charks, that could be a Shamit esque rookie who is late first, early second? Okay, here's my guy. Out? I really like Cam Johnson. Okay, it's the UNC guy. To me, like that guy is a money shooter. Like he's not just a, he's a good shooter. He's a knockdown elite shooter. The numbers were, I think he was like 97th percentile in coming off screen shooting. That's a guy, he's six foot nine. He can stroke the heck out the basketball. He's yeah, pretty he's old. 6% from three this past season. Like to me, yeah. like you put a guy on a, on a good team where he can play off someone, he can score a lot of points because he can like, he can attack a three-point line. He is a great shooter. He's got tons of size. So you can't give him any space. I'm surprised he's so low, honestly. I think he's going to be a pretty good NBA player. Yeah, he, um, he's good. I like him. I, I don't love him. I think he stands out as a, you know, definitely a potential steel type. I think Ty Jerome um, from Virginia Absolutely. is somebody that makes a lot of sense to me as a potential steal. He can um, shoot like in any which way from yeah. on off threes. I mean, Ty, Ty Jerome's footwork. Uh, He'll be interesting I, because I, I, like. I dream about Ty Jerome's footwork. <laughs> it's um, like there's few, there's few players who have better footwork in this year's draft than Ty Jerome. Yeah, it's just uh, a, a it's real crime that he's so slow. He's yeah, because so like the extremes of him will be fun to watch. Because like yeah. that's a guy that's like if skill matters, like it'll be that. But if like athletic ability matters at all, it's gonna be tough. He's like the two extremes of athletic ability and skill. Uh, I mean, he <laughs> he has a T Rex arm, six foot four wingspan, six five in shoes. Or even com- um, I guess he has to, like even compared to like Joe Harris, like a other UVA guy. Joe Harris moves way better in Ty yeah, Jerome. And he's also like a beefy dude. Yeah. He is. He's strong. I, I think Ty Jerome is gonna be a no doubt solid NBA player. Mm-hmm. We have in the draft guide we have him compared to a taller Jose Calderon, Malcolm Brogdon, uh Grievous Vasquez, and my my buddy Eric Weiss. Uh, compares him to a Tomas Sadoransky type, like a better version. But I feel of like those guys are more fluid. Sadoransky is a great athlete. Though. Yeah, like that, Grievous I, also. Those are fluid players. They get where yeah, they want to go on the floor. I, I think Ty Jerome, like borderline first round pick. Also, you got any more? You got any more shout outs, KOC? You want to get out of here? No, 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 I, I mean, Eric Weiss is somebody who like <laughs> that works in like NBA sleek circles. Yeah, we know so, who he I mean, is. But, you know, yeah, yeah. Oh, you, some shout outs. Before, yeah, you met Eric. He asked, he's like, "How's Kevin doing in the ringer?" It was very sweet. I was like, I was very impressed. Like one of the smartest. Basketball minds that like I mean, I, if he I got know. KOC his big break, he no. must be as pretty smart. He can, <laughs> his eye for talent must be very high. Eric, Eric's good. He knows hoops. Um, how about you, Danny? Anybody send out? Yeah, my guy Dylan Windler. Okay, um, I like that. Yeah, out of Belmont, six eight, two hundred pounds. He showed basically every three point shot in the book during the NCAA <laughs> tournament when he went off for like thirty yeah. some points. Um, he had showed a little smooth step back three. Mm-hmm. Uh, is a career 40% three-point shooter in his four years at Belmont. So you know he can stroke the ball. Uh, surprising, like, hops. He's not, like, the most athletic dude laterally, but, like, he can get up there. It says some people might say he's sneaky athletic. <laughs> yeah, some people might say. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I think Windler, like, I, I have him ranked 27th, and I want to rank him higher. Uh, I think with his skill level as a shooter, I think he looks like a Boyan Bogdanovich type, and... and with his high IQ and his size at six seven with Boyan. a six ten wingspan, Boyan can get buckets. So I don't see him as this guy getting yeah, buckets in the NBA. Yeah, I mean Boyan is more has developed into a ball handling yeah. type. Right. But I think with Winler though, twenty two years old, he'll be twenty three as a rookie. Look, man, like he's he plays hard on defense. See, I just wonder if you're going to be a shooting size. specialist. I wonder if he plays enough defense. That's what I worry he about. He plays with shooting. hard though, at least. Like he's not a zero on that, and I don't think he's a he's not a bad athlete by any means. I, I think Winler projects as an NBA player. Because it's passing, because it's shooting, um, 
again, like he fits the criteria of that Shamit type, high IQ guy who can shoot the hell out of the ball. Older and, guy. Yeah. Older experience can come in and, and make a difference. One guy who comes to mind is somebody who is not ready to contribute at a high level is Cam Reddish. And we have a question from Graham Shaw who said the draft lottery didn't go great for Atlanta, but is there a player where they're picking who could help cover up Trey Young on defense? And the guy that we all mutually agree makes a lot of sense for them. Great we have him going to Atlanta in our in our mock draft in the Ringer NBA draft guide is Cam Reddish. Freshman from Duke who disappointed this season at playing behind Zion Williamson and R.J. Barrett. However, he does make sense as a fit next to Trey Young, Charks. Man, Cam Reddish, like, I think I'll have to move him up. He's just his skill level. I mean, he doesn't play basketball very well for the most part, but like, <laughs> he can, he's, this jump shot looks so good. He's so big. He moves so well for his size. Like, there's a lot to like. Will he make it to eight? I wonder if he's going to go to a workout where he gets to wow someone and goes like top six. Yeah. I, I still, in my mind, he's going number four just because of the clutch uh, connection. If they keep the pick, yeah, which if they seems keep unlikely, the right? We'll see. We'll I see. think I think with Reddish, you know, you and I, Danny, have him ranked seventh. Charks, you have him eleven. Yeah, I'll have him up uh, higher. I just I can't yeah, put him that low. I, I, His skills are too. High. I even want to have him higher than seven. Yeah, I mean, I, he could be like in terms of like the guy who's a sleeper in this draft. Like Cam Reddish's skill level is ridiculous. I'm gonna end up having him above DeAndre Hunter, who I currently have ahead of Reddish. But I think with Reddish, like if you're projecting him ahead again, 19 years old, he'll be 20 as a rookie, so he's a little bit older as a freshman. But again, like the length. Seven foot wingspan, the defense that he played, very switchable on that end of the floor, strong body, so strong. Yeah, um, I think he's just with, huge. Yeah, he's just big, and I think with Reddish, the defense is there as a foundation for his future. Um, the offense on the floor, he didn't get to show it a lot alongside RJ and Zion, but he can handle the ball. He can pass a little bit. Uh, he did it a lot in high school at lower levels. I think moving forward, he's at least somebody because, like in today's league, it's it's. It's it's important not just to be able to hit threes. You need to be able to attack a close. You gotta put out. the ball on the floor yes. for sure. You have to be able to make a pass off the dribble, find it with you know, find, make that second pass, hitting the paint, finding a shooter or a cutter. And Reddish can do that. Um, the question is gonna be everybody looked at him as a potential star. Uh that's gonna be that's gonna have to have to do with how does his at room finishing improve? It was terrible. Well, <laughs> so, like he, yeah, it's it's bad. historically bad amongst yeah. Uh, yeah. NBA prospects. Very poor, and his shooting like ability thirty three percent from three this year, seventy seven. But that free that's high for a wing. Again, yeah, exactly. I think he's going to at least be a good shooter. So Reddish to me looks like a guy who is at least a three and D type of guy. Who yeah, his ball his floor shoot. is very high. Yeah, and uh, we were talking about he has multiple outs. Like he could become like a Rashard Lewis type. Right, a Rodney yeah. Hood type. Like, there's just a lot of different things he can go to in his career. Yeah, I, I, I really like Reddish, and I, I think again, sort of touching back on the RJ conversation. Like, the expectations were so high for him, and he didn't meet them that it made him look worse than he actually did. Yeah, and but at the same time, it's like when you're behind the top two recruits in the nation, it kind of almost insulates your your draft stock. Like, there was no way he was ever yeah. going to drop past ten, even though he had like a pretty miserable season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like uh, it. Yeah, I mean the concern is he's a six eight Ben McLemore is the concern. Yeah, I love that comp in the draft card for him. And that, that did, we give, did we give him that yeah. one? I, I yeah. love Ben McLemore. Yeah. I mean, he's I the other guy you watch Ben McLemore shoot. You're like, this guy is really talented. Uh, his uh, shot yeah. looked like yeah, it looked like butter every single yeah, time. An- another guy, um, Bobby Wagner, who's producing today's show, is just shouting at the top of his lungs in the corner of the room. Also, just a, a yeah. Bill Simmons comparison. Yes, yeah. is Jeff Green another is guy who looks Green. like a basketball player, right? Well, I'll tell you what, though. Jeff Green, as much as I can't stand him as a player and as much as I'm disappointed that he's never reached his clear potential with his athleticism and ability on both ends of the floor and the fact he has never complete, completely tried on defense. Like, and, it and the fact me. that they've given him so many opportunities to play point guard. <laughs> but but Jeff Green still has had a long NBA career. Yeah. Not and, only that. And he has had, had a successful career. Despite all the knocks and all the frustrations, he's still in the league and still somebody who contributes given that you still wish there was more that he could get. I mean, Jeff Green was in a Game 7 of Conference Finals and dang near swung that mm-hmm. game. Yeah, like, exactly. And, and, and how much money has he made? I'm Googling this right now. Yeah. Hold on. $67 million. That's good, man. I think Reddish is somebody who could, if he has a Jeff Green-esque career. He's done his play 15 you're, years in the league, you're, right? You're it's gonna, almost guaranteed. Yeah. You're going to be disappointed but he's still going to be a successful player. We talked about him in comparison to Rodney Hood a couple of pods ago. And like, I think it's going to be the same thing. And I'll have like one series where he has two points. Like this guy's terrible. Yeah. Then I'll have like 15. It's like, what? That that brings us right to a guy who we feel 
maybe has bust potential from Mike, Mikey McCarthy. He says, which of the top, let's say 10 to 15 guys on each of our boards have the highest bust potential. I mean, there's a lot in this draft. I, I mean, it goes without saying, yeah, there are. And it goes without saying that your 15th guy would be the guy with the most bust potential, but that's not necessarily true because in the draft, you might be willing to, to take a guy with a bit more risk than you would be somebody who's more of a sure bet. If we, if we were taking guys who are all sure bets, we'd have, you know, like like I said, Daquan Jeffries, you'd have him ranked 11th or 12th, perhaps, if you're feeling that confident in somebody like him. Um, I think of, of my top 10 to 15 or so, um, I think based off where he's going to be drafted, Darius Garland just comes to mind. And when I say he's not going to be a bust, because bust means you're out of the league. I think with Garland, I love him. I have him ranked 6th. I think his shot creation ability is tremendous. Um, but I think there's a chance he's a Jeff Teague and like you might be expecting him to be a lot more than that depending on where he's might not even be Jeff Teague. If he can be Jeff yeah. Teague, that'd be great. He's a good player. Uh, I, I think just Garland, he was promised somewhere, it sounds like. We don't know where, but... He's been shut down, right? Yeah. yeah. Expectations will be extremely high for him wherever he goes. You know what's so, so not quite a bust, but, but somebody who maybe doesn't meet expectations of the fan base that he goes to. Okay, this is a little digression, but he's a clutch sports guy. So he's been promised somewhere, sure, but LeBron knows where he's been promised, right? Obviously. I guess it was text Rich Paul. So the Lakers know yeah. he's... It's so weird, right? That's the weird situation, yeah. man. I'm sure Rich Paul will be happy to tell everybody. Yeah, uh, Who knows? He might. I mean, he'll tell I'm LeBron. Sure. Yeah, he'll tell LeBron. And, I, mean, I don't know. That's weird to I, me, I mean, but that's, I'm sure that's a digression. I'm sure it'll leak eventually, just like the Chandler Hutchinson promise yeah, last true. year uh, going to the Chicago Bulls. I mean, how about you, Fredania? Is there anybody, like, maybe not a bust, but somebody that you're like, yeah, I wonder if he's going to meet expectations. I mean, just given the top five hype, like, or maybe not hype, but like the top five billing that he's been giving over the past few months, DeAndre Hunter yeah, might be a guy a who who could probably disappoint. Like, he's he, he has a very high floor as an NBA player. He's big, strong, can hit a three. You know, he projects to defend up to three, four positions. But See, I, yeah, I saw DeAndre yeah. Hunter, and then when I thought of him as Harrison Barnes, I cannot unsee that now. Mm. In terms of this guy is a like good athlete, not very functional on the court sometimes, very ball dominant, rigid. not a great ball mover, not a very rigid, yeah, very rigid player. That really worried me when I heard, saw that comp. Last question from J5. We need your guys' breakdown of Nikhil Alexander-Walker. He's a better shooter than his cousin, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, and he has a similar build. Projected in the mid-first round in most mock drafts, Chark said he would take SGA number two overall in this year's draft class. So why isn't NDAW, Nah, Nikhil Alexander-Walker? Well, didn't Walker, we have him in our top 10 it, in one of those mocks we did? I think I put I think him at in some there. point. So but why isn't he a lock for the top 10 then, Sharks? Well, he doesn't have SGA's like suddenness. Like SGA gets where he wants to go on the court as like a first step. He's a primary in the NBA. NAW is never going to be that. But I do wonder, like I look at NAW and I look at his like floor and his skill set. Like, isn't there a chance he has a better career than Jarrett Culver because he has a more defined role? Right? That's possible. Mm-hmm. I, I think one of the things with me with NAW... Call Should we some nah? I don't know nah, how you nah. say that. I like nah. nah. I, think, I, think we, I think we fell on something there. Nah. Nah. I don't know. That's kind of <laughs> I'm kind of out, out on it. Nah. I'm kind of out on it. <laughs> what was your snail mail? That was that was for Jokic. That was a good one. I, I, I it didn't get the response. Snail sure. mail? That's really good. I never yeah. heard that one. I, I, yeah. I think it's because I can't. I came up with it. Uh, that was with a good one. That was great. Three. I, I wish. I wish that stuck. But um, with with well, start with, tweeting with, with NAW. <laughs> with NAW, I think the difference between him and SGA is like he's a lot leaner too. He doesn't have the same thickness on the defensive end of the floor. Um, so like he's going to be a, a solid defender, but I'm not sure he has quite the versatility on that end as SGA. And then as you said, Sharks. He can handle the ball, but he doesn't get where he wants. Like SGA, he's a he's a couple tiers beat. He's a role player for sure. Me. Yeah, I mean, I, I like him. He's a mid to late first round draft pick for me, um, but not somebody who's a lock in the top ten. But could exceed expectations. I do think I feel like with him, he's one of the safer because he hits the check marks. Of he has acceptable athletic ability, he can like shoot the ball acceptably well. He has no real defined holes in his game, no strengths here, but no holes. Right. And he's a pretty smart player. Four assists a game this year. He's pretty good for a shooter. Mm-hmm. One one guy I want to touch on before we before we end this podcast. We didn't get a question about him, but Kobe White, Charks, you you had him as somebody who could. There's like a blurb in the draft guide, like who he could be the potential best point guard in this draft. You have him ranked fourth in your board, uh, freshman from North Carolina. I guess I'm just curious, yeah. you know, what is it that you'd love about his game? I think I look at him, I size, speed, shooting ability, scoring ability. I think he ran point. 
he didn't have a ton of assists, but he ran Roy Williams' offense this year pretty well. He pushed the ball every single time. Like he was, he did his job super well. I don't know about his passing. I mean, his defense isn't great. I just feel like I I see Kobe White. I think y'all were telling me this, like a more athletic Jamal Murray. I feel like he can be that, that kind of player, but with actual athletic ability. I don't like him as much as you do. Uh, like he shot. 35% from three, 80% from the line. He can definitely shoot. He has touch, um, but he has a low release. He doesn't create well off the dribble. Uh, he doesn't shoot well off the dribble, I should say. And I wonder with him, it's like, is he more of just a spot up guy? Whereas Murray, I think, had that more of shot creation potential. Like there's a, with Murray, like the concern was different. Like he had a slower first step. Like how much speed, how much space could he generate? But with White, the speed's not a question. He's one of the fastest guys in the draft. He can handle the hell out of the ball. But like the, he has a really low release and he didn't shoot well. He got blocked a handful of times. To me, like I think he needs to raise that release. And I've gotten burned with my rankings in the yeah. past with guys that need to change their mechanics. So and who are you thinking of in terms of with the, with White? Who's I mean, the guy? I mean, we have Jamal Murray as a comp for him. We have Brandon. But I mean, Knight. like in terms of guys that you've been burned from like raising the shop. Like, <laughs> I mean, who comes I mean, to mind? I mean, like speaking specifically about guys who need to change their yeah. mechanics. So, like, I mean, like Justice Winslow is a different type of player, but he's somebody who needed to tweak his mechanics. And Winslow has panned out into a good player, but I expected him to be a better shooter than he has turned into. And he's a solid shooter, but I I thought like I had him ranked second or third at one point. Um, and with Justice Winslow, like that does not happen. Stanley Johnson, I did not get burned with him, but he was another guy in that same draft class where it's like, oh, it's, you know, couple, make a couple tweaks, you know, and he can become a good shooter. But again, like I wonder with with Kobe White, granted he has the touch, anytime you're talking about a guy that needs to change mechanics, it doesn't always happen. So with him, like he's going to be a solid player because of his passing ability, because of his athleticism, and because he can shoot like off the catch. But I, I'd wonder, I do question the 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 extent of his upside. It definitely wouldn't surprise me if he's a guy on his second team or his third team. And that's why I could see a lot of these guys in this draft. One thing I was I was looking at the other day, I was watching that Sekou's like great, Dumbaya's great game. Oh, he was. And right after I watched that, I saw Frank was getting a new agent. And I was like, oh yeah, 18-year-old European, very raw player. If he goes to the wrong team. And then in two years, I'll be like, well, he's still only 20 years old. He's got skills. Like I could totally see Dumbaya, Kobe. A lot of these guys... In two years, they don't pan out and they move somewhere else. This feels like a very much a second draft kind of draft. Yeah, and Dubai, um, again, another one of those intriguing guys. At six eight, six nine, with strength, ability to shoot off the dribble. Had a shots. huge game yeah, recently. He awesome. Yeah. Uh, I, he showed the flashes of what he could be. And I, I talked to an NBA guy recently who said to me, he saw him years ago when he was like 15 or 16 years old, and he thought he would develop into like a, a mellow type player. And he has not turned into yeah. that. He's more like a... I mean, he looks like Siakam sometimes. Like we have, we gave him the Aminu uh, comp, right? On our, yeah, we guy. have Alfaruk Aminu, Trevor Booker, and, and tranquilized Pascal Siakam because <laughs> the effort's not always. And there Aminu, like right? How many teams has he been on? Like five? Yeah, exactly. I yeah. could totally see Dubai being on like his fourth team and figuring it out. I, I think we need for him like one more higher end comp because the shooting, sure. the shooting potential um, with him is very intriguing with his ball handling. But there, like this draft overall. I think there's a lot of intriguing guys. It's not a strong draft by any means, but there's a lot of players in my mind who it's like, when we redraft five years from now, it's going to look like a strong class. Does that make any sense? Even though there's a lot See, of guys with This is what I'm wondering, in. though. It's like, if they're going to be good in six years, does it really matter the team that drafts them? Because the odds of being on that team in six years are pretty low, right? That's where I wonder, like, in terms of how do you balance your boards and how do you right. balance who you draft for? It's like, if Dubai is going to be good in 2025, does that really matter to most teams? It probably not. That's the part I struggle with sometimes. It's all about draft philosophy. Yeah. yeah. This is fun, guys. I'm glad was we fun. this in person. It's great. We can talk draft for out, honestly. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, This yeah, is yeah, scratching yeah, the surface no, no, of our no, draft. No, there's a lot of questions we had to delete and not, not have the ability to respond to. But maybe next time we'll do another bag. Absolutely. 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 That was fun. Month, so yeah, that's great. Yeah. Show you that. Thanks, Danny. Thanks, John. Yep. Bobby, shout out. I yeah, see you in person. Look at this guy over here. Hard at work. <laughs> and thank you for listening to the Ringer NBA show. Please give us a five-star rating on iTunes, a thumbs up on YouTube. Tell your friends about the pod. And check out our NBA Finals coverage over on TheRinger.com. We're going to have tons of stuff over there, as well as updates coming to the NBA Draft Guide, stuff on our YouTube channel, tons of videos coming out. So check all that out. Special shout-out to Bobby Wagner for producing today's podcast. Thanks again for listening. Peace. Peace.